0: Well, good morning. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, Open up to Psalm 116 if you have it. Psalm 116. I think it's a common experience to all of us, whether you're a person of faith, whether you're a Christian, or whether you're not this morning, to have prayed for something. Maybe you've begged God for something. Maybe if you're not a religious person or a time in your life where you weren't a Christian. Maybe you can bring yourself to a moment where you didn't know what else to do, so you just turned to the man upstairs. But I think all of us have some memory of wondering, God, I don't know how this is going to work if you don't come through. And we face life's despairs, and we realize we have nowhere else to turn. But I think the question that comes to our mind after this, and sometimes, for many this is a faith-shaping question, Is does God answer the way we want? Does God answer those cries, those prayers, the way we want him to answer it? Psalm 116 is a psalm of someone who faced life's despairs and found God's deliverance. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through Psalm 116. But if we're not careful, you could read this. You could learn this. You could preach this in a way that sounds something like this. Look, the psalmist was even facing death, and he cried out to God, and God deliver him, and then he gave thanks to God. So if you cry out to God, he will deliver you. Isn't that nice? And I think what would happen if we preached a message like that is we would look around, and in our hearts we would all know, yeah, but there's this one time he didn't answer the way I wanted him to answer. He didn't deliver the way I had hoped he would deliver. He answered what seemed like to be a totally different question. And so we're going to preach and look at Psalm 116, but we're also going to look at the shadow side of Psalm 116. What happens when God doesn't answer in this way? What happens when you find yourself facing despair, crying out to God, and you don't find the deliverance you are asking for? Let's pray. After we read scripture, and let's ask God to help us. So first, let's, let's dive into Psalm 116. I'm going to read all 19 verses. So let's dive into this together. I love the Lord, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You've loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. God, help us. Help us to understand this psalm this morning. Meet us right where we are in life today. And God, I pray that you would give us a line of sight to your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think the first thing we see in this psalm before we get to the answers of our prayers, before we get to the way we pray, is we see how the psalmist is facing despair. We all face despair, but we in particular see facing despair as the first point in today's message. <clears throat> Notice the way he talks about what's happening. Look at verses 3 and following. He talks about the snares of death. He talks about the pangs of Sheol, distress, and anguish. He continually references all throughout this psalm this dire, literally deathly situation that God has apparently rescued him out of. And when he's, first of all, facing despair, he's facing life's challenges, it's important to recognize how dire these situations really were. Uh, There's a quote from a commentator who said that in Old Testament poetry, death and Sheol are aggressive. They're clutching at the living to waste them with sickness or crush them with despondency. So the singer's plight may equally have been a desperate illness or a wounding and a disillusioning experience. Or like Job's, it could have been both together. And I think the first thing we find in common with Psalm 116 and the writer of Psalm 116 is it's not if we'll face these kind of situations. It's not if we'll face despair in our life. It's how we will face despair in our life. Because as we face life's challenges, the first option we have, that's usually option A for most of us, is to face despair ourselves. What do I have? that can overcome this? What tools, what strategies for living, what ways do I have that can fight the difficulty of life? But the truth of what Psalm 116 is telling us is that we cannot face life's despair in our own strength. We can't do it. And that's why Psalm 116 is all about how he faced the situation and immediately turned and cried out to the Lord. And so when we read this, and we read him say, "I love the Lord because He heard my voice in my pleas for mercy," I think what we learn is that when the psalmist faced despair, he prayed. Is prayer option A? Is prayer the first thing you turn to, or is it like, "Well, I've tried everything else, so I guess just pray for me," right? And. Typically, we reserve prayer for the serious things in our life. But the other things is like, there's got to be a technique for this. People have survived years with their babies not sleeping. Maybe six months in, I should pray. There's got to be a technique to fix this marriage. Well, 30, 40 years down the road, maybe there's not. Maybe I ought to pray that God gives us a growing love for one another. There's got to be some strategy that can fix this. And I wonder how often we view prayer more as a last resort than like our first option. And I think the first thing we see in Psalm 116 is when we face life circumstances, when we are facing despair, where are we turning to find our solution? Where are we turning to find deliverance, to find hope and help? Where do we look? Where do we look? The psalmist turned to prayer not as a last resort but as his only hope this is why he says at the end of what he says in all of verse 4 then I called on the name of the Lord O oh Lord I pray deliver my soul short and to the point and actually not asking anything pretty pointedly saying deliver me almost as if it's a command not will you or could you or can you or might you but do it Lord deliver me And I wonder this morning how, first I wonder what you're facing. I don't know. I don't know what you're facing that's bringing despair. I don't know what you're facing internally, emotionally, physically. I don't know what what your relationships are all like. I would love to know. But even what you share is probably not going to be everything. And I know that in a room this size, there's all sorts of despair that's going on in your hearts. And I think the first thing we learn from Psalm 116 before we even get to how God answers is are you turning to the Lord or are you turning in on yourself trying to do it on your own? So the first thing we see is facing despair. I think the second thing we see is as we face despair, if you'll turn to prayer, we'll discover God. So facing despair and discovering God as we face despair. I think we first discover the God who's there. Do you see the way he describes God in this passage? He's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. God hears us when we pray. God is gracious and righteous and merciful. God preserves. God saves. God delivers. God deeply loves his people. That's the famous verse 15. Precious is in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God loves his people so much that their death is costly to him. He loves them. God is with us as we face despair. And as we turn to him, we find that he's really there. We find that he really does hear us. That's what Psalm 116 is reminding us. God hears your voice, your pleas, your cries. But as we discover God, we discover the God who's there, but we also discover the God that we get in prayer. And here's where I think Psalm 116 kinda comes to a fork in the road for us. Because maybe you're going, okay, I've done that, I've I've prayed in my despair, okay. Yeah, I've, I've discovered that God was there, but the challenge was that when God was there, he didn't do what I asked him to do. So as we discover God in prayer, I want us to notice the progression of these verses in Psalm 116 because after he describes his dire situation, he gives us a hint in verses one and two that God hears them, but then we see that his next step is not actually to jump straight into deliverance. In verse four, he says, I called on the name of the Lord and I prayed, deliver my soul. And verse five does not say, and he delivered me. Verse five actually says, gracious is the Lord. And you say, why? Why? Well, this isn't a narrative, so I'm not saying that this is what happened next, but I think the psalmist who put this together wanted us to see when you cried to the Lord, the first thing to remember before you get the answer is who God is. And that's where he goes in Psalm 116. God, deliver me. You are gracious and righteous, God. Before I get your answer, you're gracious. Before I get your answer, you're righteous. Before I get your answer, you're merciful to me. Before I get your answer, I know that you preserve the simple. Now this goes on to talk about the way that he was delivered by God, but I think it's important to notice that the psalmist first goes to who God is before he goes to how God answers. So when we pray, what is it that we most want? When we pray, what is it we most want? I was getting breakfast with a mentor a few weeks ago, and he asked the guy at Waffle House, hey, how can I pray for you? And the guy, I think, has a, he's from South Georgia, and he kind of had some religious background. He sounded like, but he said, you know, I realize everybody when they pray, um, they kind of are always asking God for stuff. And so anytime I pray, I don't want to just pile on. I tell them, hey, take some for yourself. You know, hey, take, make sure you're taking care of you. And I thought, oh, brother, the good news is that God is so infinitely self-sufficient. He is a fountain that will never stop overflowing. And my mentor so wisely said, uh, you know, there's a verse in 1 Peter that says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. It delights God that we draw on his infinite care for us. But I thought, you know what? His view of prayer came from a culture that asked from God too much. And while I think his conclusion wasn't right, maybe his response wasn't all wrong. Like he was responding to just hearing people just ask and ask and ask and God do this and God give me this and God do that. And, he, and maybe this guy who I'm not even sure is a believer, maybe he was thinking prayer has got to be more than just going, hey, give me, give me, give me, right? And I wonder when we pray, what is it that we most want? Tim Keller has a pretty famous quote on prayer. He says, God will either give you what you're asking for If you have ever had kids, you know. I really want fine. I'll let you see the consequences of getting exactly what you're asking for. God does the same thing. God will either give you what you're asking for or he would give you. He will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. God might give you what you would have asked for if you knew all that God knew. When we pray, what is it that we most Want. I, I was wrestling with this this week in prayer. I mean, we're really talking about unanswered prayer, which I know there's no such thing, like God's always given us an answer, but it's the answer we don't want sometimes. We weren't expecting the, the hard answer where he doesn't remove the suffering. He doesn't save the dying. He doesn't restore the relationship. What do we do with that? And I was brought to this book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And I want you to listen to the way Again, this is Keller. That's where his prayer quote comes from, this book. And he says, he's he's writing a chapter on the book of Job. A lot of this book is on Job. And I want you to read what he says about the way Job prayed and how God answered. And he goes all the way back to the beginning of the story of Job. And he says, the accusation of Satan was that Job did not actually love or serve God. He was loving and serving himself through compliance with God's will. We have said that This is always partly true of even the best of God's followers. But it is because we don't fully love God just for his own sake that we're subject to such great ups and downs depending on how things go in our lives. We do not find our hearts fully satisfied with God unless other things are also going well. And therefore, we are without sufficient roots, blown and beaten by the winds of changing circumstances. But to grow into a true, free lover of God who has the depth of joy unknown to the mercenary, conditional religious observer, we must ordinarily go through a stripping. We must feel that to obey God will bring us no benefits at all. It is at that point that seeking and praying to and obeying God begins to change us. He says maybe the whole point of Job is what if you don't get the answer? What if God doesn't tell you, this is why I'm doing this, or he doesn't give you exactly what you asked for, is God still enough for you? Could it be that we live a life praying for things, seeking, like Psalm 116, for deliverance, hoping to find some deliverance in this life, in this world, and God says, I'm not gonna give it so that you can learn to live without that find your hope in me. And that's not the answer we want to our prayers. We want Psalm 116 to be true right on the surface. I was in pain, I cried out to God, He delivered us. Hey, if you cry out to God, He's just gonna deliver. He will, but He'll deliver you to Himself, not just the answer you're hoping for. So I think whenever we pray and make requests for things like deliver, God save me out of this, deliver me out of this. I think first, If we receive answers to our prayers and blessings from God, we respond like Psalm 116 with thankfulness. Recognizing that we didn't do anything to receive it. It was all of God. So if God does answer and does save, I was reminded this week of one of my seminary professors. She made a post that 10 years ago, his son Harrison was diagnosed with uh, leukemia, I believe it was, and went through a rigorous battle for years with childhood cancer and the ups and downs that came with that, and God has miraculously healed him, and they went through standard treatment and experimental treatment, and God has miraculously healed him, but I've heard him talk about the challenges through that, and not knowing what always God would do, but on the other side, when God does answer it, are we God-centered in our response? God, you did it, not me. This is from you, responding in thankfulness, but second, if God does not answer our prayers the way we wanted we can still respond in a deep love for God. Knowing that getting sorted out lives and sorted out things from God is not the ultimate point. God is. When we don't get the things we ask for, we have the opportunity to love God for God and not just for the stuff God has given us. I was brought back to Hannah in 1 Samuel. I think she's a great illustration of this because she uh, was in an unhealthy relationship as she uh, had a husband and that husband had at least one other wife. And every time people say, wait, God allows multiple wives in the Bible. No, every time there's multiple uh, spouses in scripture, it's always a bad story. It's almost like he's trying to tell you, no, that's not the plan. So don't let anyone lead you down that. And here's another one. Her husband is saying, don't you love me more than children? Well, he's got another wife with plenty of Children And it's almost ironic, like, well, wait, why do you need another wife? You're saying I should be satisfied. And and Hannah's praying in the temple, just broken, and she's pouring out her heart to the Lord. And she says to God in 1 Samuel 1, verse 11, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She's committing him to service in the temple. That's like a Nazarite vow. Like, hey, I'm, I'll, I'll give birth to him, I'll raise him for a few years, and when he's of age, I'll give him to the temple. And I'll only see him when I come here. Now, what, now, is she bartering with God here? God, if you answer my prayer, I'll do this for you. Is she bartering with God as she's making this request for God to For God to fix her despair. Is she bartering with God? No. And here's how you know that. As it goes on, she's praying and she's just moving her lips. And Eli, uh, who just comes on the scene being a terrible priest, thinks she's drunk. Can't even recognize a real prayer when he sees it. And uh, he confronts her. How long will you go on being drunk? And and she says, no, my Lord. I'm I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, which is fascinating because later on, God calls Eli's sons a worthless men because they were such terrible priests. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. This is the end of verse 18 of 1 Samuel 1. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That's how you know she's not bartering with God. If she was bartering with God, she would have prayed and then gotten pregnant before she had peace. She would have not had peace until God answered her prayer. But she wasn't bartering with God. She was telling God how she would respond in faith if he did answer her request. And when she left the temple that day, she had no guarantee she'd be pregnant. She'd poured out her soul and begged God for it. And she went away and her face was no longer sad. She had peace before the pregnancy. Because she had God. As we face despair, I hope our first turn is to the Lord. But as we face despair, I pray that we discover God is all we really need. And as the things of this life are progressively stripped away, I hope we continually find peace and hope and life in God. You know, this entire Psalm is about a person who faced death and found deliverance. And so that's our third point. We look at facing despair, discovering God, and last, we'll look at finding deliverance. This whole Psalm is about a person who faced death and found deliverance. But then it, it says he felt like he was experiencing new life. Read verses eight and nine with me. You've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I mean, he is talking about a new life that he has. And so this psalm is about a person who faced death and found deliverance. And thus he felt like he was experiencing new life. But does this sound familiar to you who know the whole story? Because Jesus also faced death, but he found deliverance not out of it. You know what I'm going to say. He didn't need deliverance before death. Christ had deliverance out of death, through death. He didn't come this close and say, God, deliver me Death sheol is is gripping me, pulling me down. No, Christ said, I know deliverance is going to come, but it's not going to come on the edge. It's going to come as I walk right through it. So as much as this psalm is true of a guy who wrote it, this guy died and had no idea the way Jesus would live this psalm in a much better, truer way. Because Jesus did face death. And he actually willingly gave up a literal heaven to empty himself. Stop me if you've heard me quote Philippians 2 at this point, but that's exactly what Philippians 2 is saying. He willingly gave up the glory, the honor, the praise of being the son of God for all eternity. The king of heaven, and then he humbled himself to be born a human in the form of a servant, learning obedience as if he had anything to learn. And Jesus willingly walked into the pain of our unanswered prayers. And he willingly walked into the temporary hopes of our answered prayers. And he walked straight into the grave. And the good news, every day, is that the grave was no match for him. The grave couldn't hold him. Because there was no sin in his life. There was nothing in him that deserved death. And so he walked into it, facing the ultimate situation of needing deliverance, and then he was delivered through the resurrection. And because of his death and resurrection, we can have hope as we face difficult circumstances and even death that only new life awaits us. So, you say, okay, is God answering my prayers or is he not answering my prayers? Whatever he's not answering now is coming in the resurrection. There's sickness, chronic pain. God is bringing you a new body with which you'll live with him for eternity. We talked last week about God wiping away every tear in our eyes. It's coming. Jesus is the one that ultimately brings us deliverance. But like my seminary professor, many of us are gonna find things that we pray for, that we want, that we cry out to God on behalf of in this life that God does answer. And when that happens, how do we respond? I hope, and Psalm 116 shows us, that we need to turn back and give God all the credit. Give him all the praise and all the glory, that it was only him. And as we cry out to God and he doesn't answer, I pray we turn to God and we say, God, you're all I've got. And so how do we bring this sermon to some place of response to us? Well. One is we see here in Psalm 116, he uses this this word and he says, I will drink the cup of salvation. In verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And that drinking the cup is this phrase that shows that you're receiving. You're receiving the salvation that only God brings And that's what the act of drinking is like. You're taking a cup and you're drinking it saying this didn't come from me and I I need it in me. And so we can drink the cup of salvation because Jesus drank the cup of wrath. So can you receive from God? Not only what you want to receive from God but can you receive from God whatever he might send your way? And are you willing for God to send hard things your way? If you can still drink the cup of salvation and say, God, you're enough. I'm receiving from you, knowing that everything you're doing is working something beautiful in me that's going to last for eternity. When he says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, here in <clears throat> verse 7, that's a picture of receiving rest from God, stopping and being still. So can't we respond to this whole message in the Psalms by receiving from God? I think we also respond, though, with lifelong faithfulness. Did you notice in verse 2 early on, he says, I love the Lord and his reason because he has heard me. God, hearing his prayers, stirred up love in his heart. But then notice at the end of verse 2, because he has clied his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Lifelong faithfulness. He saw God was there and he knew, I can never turn anywhere else again. God's here. And then at the end in verse 16, oh Lord, I'm your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You've loosed my bonds. I'll offer you the sacrifice of Thanksgiving. He's giving his life as a living sacrifice. And one commentator I read uh, showed the compares, the comparing and contrasting between the bonds of death The chains that were surrounding him, pulling him down away from God and towards death versus the willing bonds of saying, I am your servant. So are we willing to turn to God and say, God, I'm going to be faithful to you for my entire life. And then the last way we respond is we respond just the way the psalm leads us to, by praising God. This psalm ends the way the entire Psalter ends. The entire Psalter, Psalm 146, 150, it ends those final chapters with praise. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord over and over and over. I remember being a kid and a guest preacher came and he opens his sermon by, uh, with scripture, which I was used to, but then he, I didn't know he was quoting it at the time, but he's quoting Psalm 146 to 150. And finally, I like lean over my mom and I'm like, what's he, because people are like starting to clap and be, I was like, what's he doing? doing? He's just talking, he keeps saying praise the Lord. Like, is he just excited? She's like, no, he's quoting this. And he quotes on it. It ends with praise the Lord. Part of the reason the Psalms, the entire book ends that way is to show you that every prayer, every cry, every longing of your heart will end with praising the Lord because the end of your story is God for eternity. God has given you a glimpse that, hey, there's nothing that's going to overcome you, nothing that will grip you that I can't overcome. There's no death, no sin that I can't forget. There's nothing. I will overthrow all of it, and then it will be me and you in a new heavens and new earth forever. So our lives and the Psalms and Psalm 116 end in praise, and that's how we can respond because we can finally realize that God is all we need when everything else is stripped away. We love God for God. So notice at the beginning and the end of this process, we realize we don't have anything without God. Because when we're facing despair, we realize we can't face it on our own. And then at the end of this process, when we're brought to praise, we realize God is all we have. And so this Advent, I want to invite you to make that a reality in your life that God really is all we have and that Jesus really did come so that he could live Psalm 116 in a better way for us so that we really can find deliverance. Let's pray. God, you are good and gracious and righteous and merciful. And I pray that I wouldn't be willing to redefine those based on my life circumstances. I pray that you would use every unanswered prayer to lead us by the hand to you. And I pray that you'd use every answered prayer to lead us by the hand to you, to show us that without you, we have nothing. But the good news of Christmas is that we have you because you drew near to us. I pray this morning, God, for... All of us in this room that have things that we're crying out to you for or things we've been hesitating to cry out to you for and I pray that this morning we'd hesitate no longer. I pray that our floodgates of our hearts would open and we would pour out our soul like Hannah to you. And when we pour out our soul, our joy and our love would not be determined by your answer but it would be determined by the God we're praying to in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, worship team is going to come back up and get ready to sing one more song for us. And so I want to <clears throat> invite you to respond to how God's been speaking uh, to your heart. And so I'd like to invite you to pray. If you want to come up here, you can kneel and turn this into an altar and pray. Um, you can pray right in your seat. You can come pray with me. I'll be standing right down here singing. Um, but I'm praying that God uses this in your hearts this morning. Um, so... thanks.